It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. The pride, passion, and pageantry of college football lives here. This is the Paul Feinbaum Show, our Ford Podcast. This might be college football, Final hour, we uh, will talk to Coach Al Borges for a couple of minutes. He was the offensive coordinator at Auburn when they made a run at a national championship, undefeated season. He'll, uh, he was also the offensive coordinator at Michigan. Uh, we'll talk to him in a couple of minutes about some of the play calls in uh, that game. Let us uh, continue with more of your phone calls. And how about David up next in Georgia? Hey, David. Hello. David, you there? Hello. Hey, good hey, Paul. Hey, I got dropped a while ago before I got a chance to give you a solution to the saving retirement question. Okay. Um, now, he's a, you would consider him a type A personality when it comes to coaching, right? I would say that would be safe to say yes. Yeah, so let's throw Occam's razor at it, the simplest solution. As a type A, he's not going to be satisfied until he passes Bear Bryant. He needs one more ring. You know, David, I've had I've yeah. had people mention that, and he's about twenty some odd. Uh, I just don't. This is just a thought. I've never discussed this with Nick Saban, but I don't know why he would be upset. He, he's never been obsessed with Brian, even though he has now uh, really matched him. I, I just think they're that that doesn't. I, I I know you're you're not alone in your thoughts, uh, but I can't imagine him chasing a record that, quite frankly, doesn't mean very much. I don't know. That's up at the ring to pass Bear Bryant. I mean, when you're that's, already that's the greatest coach the, of all time, the... uh, why do you really want to chase uh, wins and one more title just so you can have eclipsed Bear Bryant when Bryant won in a different era? But anyway, that's just a thought. Don't could be wrong, and uh, well, I don't think I'll be wrong because I don't think there's any way to really decide that. Thanks for the call. Brent is in Virginia. Hello, Brent. Hello, sir. Good afternoon. Can you hear me? I sure can. Go right ahead. Well, my question is, I'm a Southern Cal Penn State fan in football and Kentucky in basketball. And Joe Green had that 100 greatest NFL all-time teams. He's talking about how those guys stayed together for that long. And then he looked at Bill Belichick, and he said he's been getting that done with different faces. And Bill Belichick said, I've always said players win games. Well, when they talk about Harbaugh out coaching Nick Saban, I think that's bull. Okay, well, let me, let me offer this it. to you. Uh, I was on the set at halftime of the game with uh, three people, uh, two quarterbacks uh-huh. and, a, and a former uh, DB, and the consensus of those three, which I give more credence to than anything I would say, was that Nick Saban at halftime was being badly outcoached. Now, I realize that that's a snapshot. I've, talk, I've, I've talked to many people since then, and, yeah, I, could, I understand you can quibble and, and say a bunch of things, uh, and, and that's easy to do. But the consensus of most people, he was outcoached by Jim Harbaugh. Augie is up next in New Orleans. 
Paul, I beg to differ. You in the set with a Super Bowl winning DB, one Heisman Trophy winning quarterback, and half a quarterback. So that's uh, <laughs> well, two just... and a half guys. <laughs> Jordan Rogers being the half, uh, of course. But um, Paul, do you think DJ Durkin is a viable candidate as our defensive coordinator? He's well respected. I mean, what's the buzz? Is there a buzz? Do you I, hear no, any kind I, of a I, buzz? Because I uh, I haven't heard a buzz yet on what Brian Kelly is thinking, but but I think uh, one thing I do know about Brian Kelly he uh, he he hasn't exactly this, this defense from the beginning was 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 and has been a disaster. Uh, again, I've been consciously watching football since the late '60s. I've never seen an LSU defense as bad. LSU is known for good defenses. And we were always known for kind of half, you know what, offenses. Well, this year we had probably one of the best offenses in history and no defense at all to go along with it. But I'm going to ask you a question, Paul. Who do you want to win Monday night? I know it's not a big deal for you, but deep down you've got to want either Michigan or Washington to win. Who's it going to be? In in the weirdest possible way, I, I think I'm leaning toward Michigan. In a, in a sense, I'm with you. I've always liked Michigan, maybe because of their helmets as a kid, but wouldn't it be apropos yeah. for Washington to win it this year as the Pac-12 goes out of business? And that, that may be the one reason I don't want them to, because uh, <laughs> I don't want to see that Pac-12 commissioner, who is just a total goofball, stand up there and try to claim the championship. Yes, he will. When he, when he literally ran this league into the ground. He will claim it. He'll claim that under my leadership, yeah. which was happenstance, it's like Ed Ogeron claiming to be uh, yeah. responsible for that national championship. Yeah. But well, yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, I, I, I guess I don't, I don't want to give you my honest answer because it would, it would, okay. it would make it look like I'm not really a college football fan. You want it to come out a tie and never I, I, have anybody win the, it? The, the, <laughs> if, you, if you gave me true serum – the real answer is I really don't care. Uh, I know you don't, but deep down you gotta want somebody to come out on top. It's sort of like I watching think, a Super Bowl. I, I when think I will uh, maybe a fifty-one forty-nine lean toward pulling for Michigan. Uh, I can see where that. Uh, but Paul, in the in the annals of college football championships in the BCS or the CPF era. Has any SEC team ever lost the championship to a non-SEC team other than Bama? I mean, we lost it oh, to yeah, Bama. Sure. But uh, Alabama lost to Clemson twice. No, but other than Bama, has there been any? Oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't understand so. that. Um, sorry. No. Um, going back to the beginning, Tennessee won, Florida won a couple of times, LSU's won a million times. Uh, Auburn. Auburn won. No, I, I don't remember uh, one time where the SEC team has lost the national championship game to anyone other than themselves or Clemson. One last question. Nick Saban's not going anywhere, but let's say if he was, and this is just all hypothetical, if he left tomorrow, would Lane Kiffin oh, uh, be hey, coaching waiting? And I can't believe I didn't think of this considering – I was in the same end zone the other day where it happened, but uh, Florida State beat Auburn in 2013. That's right. You sure did. Is Lane Kiffin to Kelvin Benjamin, 13 seconds. I forgot about that. I forgot about that. 
Paul, is Lane Kiffin the coach in waiting for whenever Saban leaves? I do not believe so, no. Wow. All right. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. Appreciate the question. Marcus is up next. Good afternoon, Marcus. Marcus, are you there? No, Marcus. How about Dominic in Pittsburgh? Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Paul. It's Dominic again. Hey, Dominic. So I really wanted to ask you one more thing yesterday, and that was the last Michigan muffed punt. Right. So if if you watched the game back, if Kendrick Law would have sprinted the whole way down the field to cover the punt, he may have been able to cover it in the end zone. I agree with you. Um, I thought and that's, there was, that's, yeah, I, I thought you. I, I agree with you on that. I, I also thought there was a reasonable chance Alabama was going to win that game on a safety. Can you imagine if that had happened? Yeah, and that's almost upsetting. As that I man guy talking from Montgomery, he's about as smart as a rock at the bottom of the swamp. I think he is still having nightmares of the grave digger play. Roll damn tide, Paul. See you, buddy. Dominic, uh, Dominic uh, is, has, ju- has just been hired for the uh, 2013 replacement of Stephen A. Smith on first take. We will take a short break. We'll talk to Al Borges in just a moment. You're listening to the Paul Feinbaum Show podcast. Is your schedule too packed to see a doctor about your erectile dysfunction? Well, with Hims, now you can get treated for ED without stepping foot outside your door. They're changing men's health care by providing access to affordable sexual health treatments from the comfort of your couch. Hims provides access to doctor-trusted ED treatment options such as chewable hard mints, brand name treatments like Viagra, or generic alternatives for up to 95% cheaper. The process is simple and entirely online. Just answer a series of questions and a medical provider will determine the right treatment option. If prescribed, your medication ships to you free. No insurance needed. So what are you waiting for? Join the hundreds of thousands of trusted HIMS subscribers and get treated. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash Paul. That's HIMS.com slash Paul for your personalized ED treatment options. Hymns.com slash Paul. Hardments are chewable compounded products which are not approved by or verified for safety or effectiveness by the FDA. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See website for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies on product and subscription plan. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com.
Welcome back. Uh, always uh, great to catch up with our friend Al Borges. We had him on a couple of months ago and when he uh, had just come out with, with a book about uh, his career. But he, he's interesting. He was part of the uh, Auburn National Championship run under Tommy Tuberville in 2004, the undefeated season. He is also coached at the University of Michigan. And he joins us now. Coach, good to talk to you again. Uh, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, Paul. Have you uh, pissed anybody off lately? Uh, I'm hoping you do that because I want to ask you about the, <laughs> the, uh, the most controversial subject of the week here. You're an offensive coordinator. You've been in the most high-pressured situations. And a lot of people, at least most of the, most of the audience, did not like Tommy Reese's call at the end of the Michigan-Alabama game the other day in overtime. Uh, as you were watching the game, what were, what were you seeing and what were you thinking? Well, uh, I went back and did, you know, I, I do the, for a podcast here, I do the defense. You know, I look at the defense for the most part. But today, ironically, it's ironic you guys would call because I looked at the offensive side. You know, I usually do that after I've, I've done all my homework on the defense because I don't really talk much about the uh, opponent's offense. But I looked at it. It was interesting, the dynamic of the game, outside of even the two-point call is, Early in the game, Alabama had gone to a lot of five- and six-man protections, and they weren't holding up. Uh, they got sacked five times in the first half, and they were getting confused in some of the pressures. Guys were getting turned loose, and Melrose wasn't even getting a look at times. And they switched gears in the second half and went to more seven- and eight-man protections and run, ran the ball more to kind of take the pressure off the kid, you know, which helped them because they started using him more as a runner. But they kept themselves in some better down and distances, which helped, okay? I mean, helped considerably. But uh, I think I had them in like 11 times in the first half they were in six-man protections. And normal, normal, normal games, that's probably not an issue. But Michigan's defense is tough, okay? And, and Jesse Minter does a great job of mixing his pressures up and over, does a lot of overloading and such. And if you're not on the same page up front, you can, you can get your quarterback hit a lot. So – I think uh, their adjustment at halftime was was a good adjustment, and it got them back into the game. Now, the two-point conversion, uh, I studied that pretty good. They, uh, it was basically a quarterback power play with an RPO, okay? They motioned the back out, but Michigan moved somebody with them, and they matched all their heads. So the, the option to throw the bubble really wasn't there. I mean, you could throw it, but you were rolling the dice. I don't, I don't think it was going to be a good idea. The thing that I wondered is who had Mike Sainer still. Now, Mike Sainer still came off the corner real wide. I think he might have been able to run underneath. I think he did run underneath him. But the problem is, is he wasn't blocked. And because he wasn't blocked, it restricted what Melrose could do. He had to hit it inside of Mike. And what happened on the backside is, is, is uh, Josiah Stewart did a great job of bench pressing the right tackle. I mean, he pressed him right back into the hole. And the running lane was restricted by the backside defensive end pushing the tackle back into the point of attack, and Mikey Sanders still coming off the edge. Had he been able to veer a little to the left, he might have been able to get in the end zone. But the problem was this. You had an unblocked guy off the edge, and they took away the bubble. So it just I don't think it was the most timely call that you could have. It was doable had he been able to get inside Mike and not had his lane restricted so much. But – that's my take on it forever. It's for whatever. Coach, it's how, uh, I mean, the first thing everybody saw, because Chris Fowler said it, so you're watching the game unless you're standing on the sidelines, and you, you see the low snap. Uh, how, yeah. how, how critical was that to the failure of the play? 
Well, I don't know how much that mattered. I think Melrose was going to run that thing anyway. Okay. And he looked like he fielded it decently. Now, the snaps were, were a nightmare the whole game. I, I watched watching the uh, the entire the game in its entirety. They were a nightmare the whole game. That was not a good snap and may have been an issue had he had to throw the bubble outside. Okay. But I think Melrose was running that ball. It didn't matter. It didn't matter so, as much. Yeah. I don't think as much, okay. as much. Now, it never, it's never comfortable trying to catch a snap below your knees because you got to stop a beat to just make sure you have it. But how much it affected the run itself, uh, I don't know. I don't know how much. It would have affected the overall read had the one of the reads been there. But I don't know that it affected actually what happened. I think the, the, the pressure from the backside and the restricted lane by Sanderson, because Sanderson was unblocked, but I don't think – he was going to get Melrose. I think he was going to go by Melrose, but what it did is it restricted where he could run because I think what he needed to do is get off tackle to where that guard was pulling because if you watch the play, the guard pulls cleanly through uh, on, on the power, but uh, Melrose had to run inside, almost try and muscle his way in the end zone, and on a two-point, that's three yards. That's not easy to do all the time. So let's, let's, let's put you in the booth for a second. And you've got this, I mean, you're down, it's, I mean, it doesn't matter how you got there, you're there. Uh, go through some of the options that you would consider uh, in that fourth and three situation with, with only the entire world on the line. Are you talking about the two-point conversion? Yeah, well, well, I'm talking about the play, uh, the fourth down play, uh, which, which, uh, which, which is a two-point conversion play for them. But it's the final play of the game. It's fourth and three. Right. Uh, they and the one we're talking about here. I'm just curious as you're yeah. looking at that. What are what what are what are what would be on your card? Uh, no, and just I mean, you, I'm not talking about your card. I'm talking about what what do you think Tommy Reese's card consisted of at that in that down and distance? Okay, this is what and what you can't you got to do is you got to understand what's happened during the course of the game to make the call because okay. you may have a two point play that you really want to run that may not look so good at that time. And by that, I mean protection was an issue in this game for Alabama. So keeping him in the pocket with some type of a six-man protection or something like that was could be an issue, okay? And I probably would not have gone to that even if I had a play I liked, you know, in that, in that, in that uh, venue of plays, a menu of plays. So the thing I, I thought right away is get it in his hands. I think that part of it was smart. Have Melrose run the football or run pass. Now, by run pass, I don't mean RPO, okay? I'm talking about run pass option. Give him the opportunity to maybe get outside the pocket on some kind of a pick play, something where if it's not there, you can use his body to run the ball in the end zone, okay? So I think any way you cut it, the play had to feature Melro as a runner in some way, shape, or form. It didn't have to be the only option, but I think it had to be one of the options, or, or at least a 50-50 proposition that he was going to run or throw it. But I don't know if I'd have kept him in the pocket. I, that's one thing. So I, when I, when, I, when you talk about that, you're talking about you know, hitting one of the sides uh, outside the pocket. Because, I mean, how, how difficult is that? Because, I mean, we, we saw Michigan on the previous series. It was, you know, they, they had the great uh, pass to, 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 to Corum. Uh, I mean, it just seemed like – that, and I, I realize you can't just – you know, come up with 18 plays, but that the Michigan defense is playing lights out. Where, where else could he have gone, I guess, is what I'm trying to get to. 
Well, what, what, what a lot of people will do in that situation is set the ball on the left hash mark, okay? okay? That way you're working with two-thirds of the field if you sprint, if you, run, if you get out of the pocket, which is what I'm proposing, okay? And then run some kind of a combination that will work versus a, a man-to-man defense or a zone defense, something where you can pick somebody or possibly go to a high-low if it's not there. And maybe cut the outside guy if they blitz and give him the ability to tuck the ball and run. You see what I'm saying? So now you've got three different uh, components. One is get him outside the pocket to see the throw and avoid the rush, number one. Okay. Number two, have something to pick a man-to-man defense if, in fact, that's what they're in, but have a contingency plan within that so that you can high-low somebody in a goal-line zone type situation. And number three, if nothing's there, give him the option to sprint to the edge and get his big body over the goal line. So now you're not limited to one option, Paul. You're limited to you're, – you're, you have three, okay? There's a contingency plan within the play that allows you to, do, to respond to what they do defensively. Is it a panacea? I'm not saying it is. But with his skill set and the way the game had gone, with regard to protection, with regard to all those types of things, to me, that's the first thing that would have popped into my mind. Why, why, was, uh, why, why was a short pass a risk? Uh, but why was a short pass well, a risk? Saying, a I, mean, short pass. Think, uh, I mean, we saw Michigan pull it off, obviously, to the running back. What, I'm just trying to think, as, he, as he's over there, I mean, the timeouts after timeouts, there's plenty of time, right? So, the, right. The, the, I mean, they, 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 they can look at – it just seemed like – now I realize the play the play failed because of protection, but it just seemed like Milrow is a, is a more effective runner when he's on the run. Yeah, and that's what I'm proposing is get him out there where yeah. he can do that. Now, what Michigan did, they ran a naked bootleg. Which and, and, and coach, what about the previous play? I don't I don't think we have it, but Burton catches the ball on what the two or three yard line. Why why wouldn't you have gone into the end zone on that play? Well, the one thing about that, again, if he has to push the route deeper, he's got to hold the ball longer. Okay. okay now, and that was not a good idea in this we're football game. We're on the three-yard line. We're not like we're on the 20-yard line. Well, they weren't on the three-yard line when he caught the ball, though. I think it, where, where was the oh, ball? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're right. Uh, where'd that play begin? He, he catches the ball on the, like, three-and-a-half or four, but he's – Right. Um, yeah. He had a chance to go into the end zone, but he, he – he could have, but again, if he pushes the thing five yards deeper in the end zone because it was a comeback type route. Yeah, I'm sorry. Okay? Yeah, you're right. Um, yeah, he's got to push that thing in the end zone, come uh, okay, back, get, and now that makes the quarterback hold the ball on. The, uh, now, now you're risking protection issues. So I understand well, started, why that, that was. That play started on the 14. Right. 14 yard line. Okay, 14 yard line. Now, now you're telling me this. If you want him in the end zone, he's got to push that thing at okay. least 18 to 19 yards. Got it. Because he's got to get in the end zone and come back, okay? Now, 18 to 19 yards is going to correspond with about a five-step gun drop where he's going to have to hitch to make the throw, and they had not shown they could protect that type of deal. They just had not. So that wouldn't thing, be a play that easy, I'd call. It's easy for me to say this because the center was so bad, but at some point, w- would you change up what you do? I, I realize it, it, he's in the gun all the, all the time, but what, would, you, would you have considered putting him under, under center on, the, on this play? Well, that's possible. How much they practice that, I don't know. And that could be a factor. But remember something. As soon as you go under center, you are taking away a ton of quarterback runs. And okay. that's what okay. Melrose was doing the best. Okay? 
the zone reads, the pulls off the – they scored on a power read one time where he pulled it out. and or He didn't score. He actually got down to, I think, the, the two- or three-yard line. It, the, the gun gives you more options for a dual-threat quarterback. Okay. As soon as you go under center, you eliminate the problem with the snap. Well, what, what about but McClellan, now you're in McClellan, McClellan, the running back, was having a pretty good day. What was what was the, what was the problem with pitching it to him to give him some room? Nothing. Yeah, that's enough. If you want to roll the dice and do it, go for it. If if you think you've got the time to do that, that can that can work too. But you, Running you, plays like, and two uh, minute uh, drills you can like be very to play effective. Primarily because it's the second he gets the ball, he's moving forward. Yeah, and that and that stuff can that stuff can work too. But let me tell you something, Paul. You get in a two-minute drive, you're running out of time, and you call a running play, and it fails. You're going to be criticized. You can be criticized a lot more than you're criticizing right now, because now you're saying you're rolling the dice on him hitting it. Okay. And again, I don't know how many. Did they have any timeouts left? Uh, we're in overtime now at this point. So uh, yeah, we're in overtime. They, they would so, have had a, yeah. well, I think that. Let me ask you on that question here, because I think there were were there, were there two straight timeouts. Uh, yeah, I think yeah, both both had timeouts. What happens during those timeouts? Do you change the play very much, or do you just? Oh, you, what you can do is you can see what they did defensively, okay. and then and you know you, you line up, see how they line up, and then call a timeout, and then go okay. Now what they'll generally do is they won't run the same defense they just showed you, but at least you eliminated that. That probably was his favorite call, and now he's going to a second favorite call. So, you know, it's not it's not always advantageous one way or the other. But, yes, you go in there, you see what they look like they wanted to do, and then dial up a play you think that will work against them. Is it more effective or less effective just, just without the timeouts? Because that just stops everything, doesn't it? Oh, any time you get a timeout and you get a chance to think about it, that's good. Okay, that's, that's good. a good thing. Because now you can go to your sheet, relax a little bit. The way these timeouts are in television games, they go forever. So you can you can sit there. And now, go, okay, do we really want to do this? One more thing, Saban. I mean, I realize he's there. Uh, you worked for a defensive coach too at Auburn. Uh, where is the head coach in all of this? Oh, he's he's. When you're in a situation like that, you know, you're inside the what four yard line. I said a two point play, and a two, but it really is a two point play for all intents and purposes, because right. it was going to win or lose the game, right? You tell him what you're doing so you don't blindside him. But I, my guess is that Coach Saban knew exactly what he was doing and would trump him if he didn't like it, okay? So, uh, you know, that's why he wears the headset, so he can hear what you're doing, and if he's something he doesn't like, he can, you know, say, no, nope, don't do that, go to the next one. So he, all head coaches play a part in that, but Coach Saban, yeah, he's a defensive coach, but trust me, he knows the offense as well as he does the defense, and he will tell Tommy Reese, I don't think this is a good idea, or go for it. You know what I mean? He is a huge player in it, particularly him, because he knows everything that's going on. One, one last thing. Uh, you talked about, I mean, obviously you're an offensive coordinator, but, but take, give us the mindset of the D.C. at that point. Uh, so what, what, what's going on in the Michigan box when, okay, the, the time, we, we, both timeouts have been used. Uh, do, you, do you think, I mean, based on what you saw, did, did they snuff it out perfectly? Well, uh, yeah, because they had a free hitter. Coming off the edge, it was a good call. But what he has, Paul, he's got calls on his sheet for that situation exactly, okay, that he has game planned for Alabama, knowing that Melrose probably going to carry it, whatever, okay? And all he does is he picks maybe between two or three selections on his call sheet and says, okay, at this point, feel of the game, this is what they've done, the quarterback's probably going to run it. He calls a defense, he thinks that 
has a chance or the best chance to stop that play. He doesn't pull that out of his butt. That play, that defense was called and practiced probably several times, particularly with a month to prepare in that situation. And the same thing I'm guessing with the offense is, is I'm sure that Alabama practiced that play. It was probably, again, it wasn't a two-point play, but it was a two-point play for all intents and purposes, right? Because they were about in the same position. They probably practiced that play several times against several scenarios, and it wasn't something that they were trying to draw up on the sideline right before they went out to play. So, I mean, if, if, you, if you haven't done that, you haven't prepared very well. Well, hard to imagine uh, either team not doing that. Coach, what a pleasure. We, we need to do this more often. This was, a, this was really a blast to get really inside uh, of how this works. Coach Al Borges, uh, we will talk to you again soon, very, very soon, I hope. Fascinating breakdown of how it ended in Pasadena two days ago. We'll take a short break, and we are coming right back. You're listening to the Paul Feinbaum Show podcast. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Are back and uh, let's check in with Cat Dad E. Big ball and good, sounding good as always. I've been watching the show a good bit today, but I haven't heard anybody say should Michigan, if they win this national championship, because of the cheating scandals, the three suspensions by Harbaugh, and they they were cheating. That's that's correct. Well, Not everybody was coming to stoke. I don't, I don't really think uh, it matters anymore. Well, people come into stoke think if they win the championship, shouldn't there be an asterisk? And one guy, well, who, who uh, will you decide, know, by the way, who's going to decide to put the asterisks? Well, for what my boss was telling me earlier today, he said when the Michigan people shout "Go Blue," they should add the word "cheat" in the middle. I rest my case. Well, I'll leave it up to the jury to decide. 
AJ is up next. Good afternoon, Mr. Feinbaum. Hey there. Hey. Early in the year, let's just go ahead. We got to address this right off the bat. It's January 3rd, whatever. And you got two hours and 36 minutes into the show. You got that snake venom filled cockroach. He's already made three calls. And that's you, Jim. You snake venom filled cockroach. That's all you are. You sit over there. You you can't stay on topic. All three calls today was pathetic. You cannot stay on topic. You've lost it, just like you described Nick Saban the other day. You said he's old. He's feeble. He just needs to call it quits, Paul. He's just done. Saban's just – he's just – and all you did was describe your own self, Jim. Because you're old, you're feeble, you're psycho, and quite frankly, you just need to hang it up, Jim. Go back up there to that damn institution and turn yourself in and climb your ass back up in that ground padded room and shut your damn ass up, Jim. That's exactly what you need to do. That's just the way it goes. War damn eagle, and may the tide never roll. And Augie BK's fired your ass tomorrow. Serious threats coming from Tell City. Pete is up next in Georgia. Hey, Pete. Hey, thank you for having me follow AJ. What a privilege. Sure. <laughs> and uh, by the way, Happy New Year, Paul. And thanks so much for what you do. You know, I just love your show. Thank you very much. I have some comments about, about I-Man. You know, he reminds me of this old man that I saw just arguing with himself while gorging on a triple Baconator at a Dirty Hardy's. You know, surely he has a better pick. I mean, that's why God made Photoshop. And I'm thinking maybe a queer eye for the straight guy makeover maybe in his future or hopefully is in his future. But just one comment on the, uh, the Alabama game. I said but what really – when it really lost it for me was was the the Milrow fumble. We just lost all momentum, and we were looking very strong. Running was looking really good after that awful, awful first half. Hey, and what's your you thoughts on who? I appreciate the call. Uh, we continue with more phone calls, and Big Boss Man in Virginia. Good evening. Hello, Boss Man. Hey, Paul. We all know had Georgia been in the playoffs, Vegas had them favored against every team that's in there. And I appreciate you acknowledging how great of a year we had and how great of a team we had. But there's some flaws even still, and I'm grateful that we're going to 12 teams next year, Paul. But there's still going to be some flaws with this uh, process and this college football playoff committee and them getting it right and wrong, putting the best teams in there rather than the most deserving teams. And the main flaw that I see it's just there's way too much importance being put on the conference championship winner with these power five schools getting their conference championship champion in. And then next next year, the highest ranked conference champion that's not a power five affiliate will be put in. You know, Paul, that would have been Liberty this year who bumped Oklahoma. Right. And congrats to Liberty in the year they had, but we, we all saw what happened to Liberty when they played Oregon this year. They got their ass kicked. And um, so I just was trying to get your take on that. and. What do you think we we could get right with that? Because there's just way too much emphasis still being put on that conference championship. And no matter what anyone says, you, I, AJ, Stacy, Jim, raging drunk, I man looking like a reject for Leonard Skinner, an old legend, the reject, and likes to think he's the rock. 
uh, talking all his smack. <laughs> they all know. They all know that Georgia this year was one of the best four teams and should have been in there. And had they been in there, they might have even taken it all. Um, but again, just trying to get your take on that and what you see of any flaws or positives. Obviously, there's more teams going to be in there, but. Yeah, I, 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 I think it's a, it's a great unknown, but, but the one thing I do know is how good Georgia was this year. They had a bad couple of minutes, and uh, it, 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 seems, it, it seems a little bit unfair, though, but they did play in the SEC championship game, and they had the opportunity to control uh, their own destiny, and they did not. Uh, Jim is, is up next. I have a feeling I know what he's let me tell you. About. Let me tell you something, you stinking, rotten, lying. Can I say the B word, Paul? I'd rather you not, but I, but I know what you're going to Okay, well, he, everybody knows what I'm talking about. That's who A.J. is. He's a thug. He's a liar. I'm not old as you are, you bald-headed-looking god. Why don't you take the glasses off? You must be wanted at some point everywhere, and you that's probably your post office poster. You're a sticking, low-life, thug, scumbag, and you know why you use my name and trash me all the time? Everybody knows why. It's obvious. Because I'm the man. I've been the man. And you're trying to be the man. You don't. Let me tell you something. Don't hate Jim because you ain't him. That's what's going on with you, J.A., jackass. You're an idiot. You're no good caller. Nobody likes you. That's all you can do is try to trash somebody. Paul, I didn't mean to get negative, but you let that, that fool. He's a total fool. Paul, do you hear me? He's a that guy is a fool. Yeah, he really yeah, is. He, uh, he really is. And you know he is. But why do you you like those? Why do you like those kind of guys? Well, I I, I don't. I'm not saying I do. But usually you you interrupt scumbag like that, but you just let him flow along. Uh, anyway, by the way, I liked the way you were rapping there. That was really cool. What do you mean, rap? Well, you, you you said Jim and him, and I, I felt I felt like I'm about to hear I'm Slim Shady. Yes, I'm the real Shady. <laughs> I, I, I didn't know. Where well, I'm glad I can get a laugh out of this call. But I mean that 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 I'm telling you, I you know some people I don't like on this show. That's the most. What's a what's a good word for him? I mean a good negative, concise well, I, word. I, I, I mean the easiest and simplest word is loser, but that's too that's too pedestrian. That's right. It's not enough. It, it, he's more. He's far worse than that. He's a. He, I think he's like a pedophile. He's like a. He's a. He's a worm. That's what he is, Paul. He's well, a no, stupid. First of all, I don't know. Uh, there's no. First of all, I don't care what he is. It's none of my my concern. Uh, what he what he does best, I think, is get under people's skin, and that's why you. Uh, yeah, I guess that's uh, that's probably why. But you. But he just lies and says all well, kinds of stuff. I, like, a couple of weeks ago, I got into it with him. He said something totally preposterous, a complete and unadulterated lie, and, and I did well, He does that all the time. He, he does that all the time. But go ahead, I'm sorry. Asked, but he does so, that all the time. Afterwards, I said, why, why, why am I yelling at this guy? But he was talking about somebody I'm, I'm, I'm friends with who, who is it's not because of friendship. He just happens to be one of the most prominent people in the entire country and respected people, and he just yeah, I know, I, know. I heard that it was about Tim Cook. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's, that's the, the kind of thing. Part is just, oh. wasn't. Uh, oh. I just felt like, as a program, oh. you we just can't afford. I mean, we'll push. We'll let people say whatever they want when they say something that is just re- absurdly absurd alive, and uh, uh, we can't outrageous. Lie. But that's the kind of fool this guy is. 
Listen, I'm gonna tell you. I know. I know. The, I know the drill with these guys, especially that one. Yeah, well, you're, uh, Jim. He unfortunately, we better. We get. We have to break. Or he specializes in being a fool. Okay, well done. Fool on the hill. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Paul Feinbaum Show podcast. 